Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Germany in Focus, a weekly podcast from The Local. Today we're talking about strikes in Germany, where they're happening and how you could be affected. We're getting into the significance of the Currywurst and how much Germany's most expensive Currywurst will set you back and where you can find it. Berlin voted in its elections rerun on Sunday. We'll talk about the winners and the losers, what happens next and what it all means. Should public officials in Germany have to speak English? That's the call from the Free Democrats and we discuss why they think this should happen and a jobs expert tells us what the biggest hurdles are for internationals trying to get a job in Germany. We also talk about dating in Germany and one expert shares her tips. I'm Rachel Loxton and I'm in Berlin today with the local Germany editor Rachel Stern and journalist Annen Burnett. Hello and welcome to you both. How are you? Great. Doing pretty well, Rach. Thanks. Rachel, what's been going on with you? We haven't seen you in a while. So I spent part of January hibernating from the German winter. I was in Portugal for a few weeks, oh. and then I luckily got a bit more downtime with my family before returning to this role. Lovely. That, that sounds like a good thing to do in January. <laughs> Welcome back, <laughs> but like... <laughs> Aaron, are you well? Definitely, absolutely. With the cost of living rocketing upwards over the past months, lots of unions have been calling for their workers to go out on strike for better pay and conditions in countries across Europe. And things have been heating up in Germany in recent weeks. We've seen strikes for postal workers, transport employees and other public sector workers. And with that, there is, of course, disruption to everyday life and services. Aaron, we're recording this podcast on Wednesday, the February the 15th. We had an important update today, right? Yeah, so we've already seen a number of so-called warning strikes around the country over the last few weeks. And as we're finding out today, there's more. Um, on Friday, the day this episode comes out, we've got warning strikes notices for airports in Frankfurt, Munich, Hamburg, Dortmund, uh, Hanover, and Bremen. Now, each airport may react a little bit differently, so check and see which flights are cancelled, which ones are delayed, and uh, what each airport advises you to do if you're affected. Um, there might be different numbers of employees taking part, uh, more in some, less than others, that sort of thing. So again, each airport might um, react differently. Check with them directly. We've seen uh, some traffic collector strikes in the last few weeks, which have left some very full bins and a lot of postal strike delays. Uh, last week, Berlin even advised people not to vote by post anymore because they couldn't guarantee, uh, given postal strikes, that the ballots would actually make it in in time to be counted. Uh, so expect more of the same, but potentially in a lot more areas. It may be scary to try and find alternative care if kindergarten teachers walk out or get to work, if bus drivers go on strike, but these are things that could happen. Mm -hmm. And Rachel, is it fair to say then that we are seeing widespread strike action in Germany? What's kind of the overall picture? Yeah, I would say that that's fair, Rach. Right now, pretty much 
much every public institution has faced some sort of strike action, and that's because the Union Verdi and the Civil Servants Association, DBB, are calling for a 10.5% increase in income in their current round of collective bargaining. And that comes to at least 500 euros more per month for all public service employees. And if they get their wishes, then the new contract would run for at least a year. So public transport workers have been going on strike. As Aaron mentioned, uh, KEDA workers have been going on strike, postal service workers, and pretty much every week we see a new wave of strikes because the demands of the unions aren't being met. And and it does seem to be kind of all over different parts of Germany. So sometimes there's more strike action in um, North Rhine-Westphalia. And is that what's happening? Yeah. I would say so. So each of these unions have their own local branches. And lately, there's been a lot of strikes in North Rhine-Westphalia. Earlier this week, pretty much all public transport was not running um, due to people walking off the job. And also in Germany's northernmost state of Schleswig-Holstein, there's also been public sector strikes throughout the state. But that said, there's also been strikes taking place throughout the country. As Aaron mentioned, seven airports within Germany are going to see their workers um, going on strike. And how does this affect people's everyday lives? How much people listening might see these strikes in action? Well, if you're slated to fly, as we said before, check the airport website ahead of your flight just in case there is a disruption. If you have important posts to send, don't put it off. Make sure you get it in as quickly as you can just in case there is a delay. Scan a copy um, before you send a document, for example, if if you have an important one there. If there's a public transport strike, remember that the S-Bahn might still be working depending on where you are. So <laughs> um, different unions um, can... I represent different workers. So follow your sort of your local social media. And of course, I have to say this, keep tuned into the local uh, while we keep you updated. (laughs) Of course. And that is a good point because sometimes these strikes are called quite spontaneously in a way. They say Mm -hmm. this is happening tomorrow or this is happening in two days time. So don't always know them in advance. Yeah, exactly. So keep tuned in. Rachel, do we know, will this continue, this, uh, these kind of strike actions, or do we have an end date? Unfortunately, Rach, we don't have an end date. In a perfect world, they would end on February 23rd or 24th, which is when the next round of collective bargaining is taking place. But so far, the employees' demands haven't been met. Employers say that if they were to raise wages, then the overhead cost would end up being too high and they continue to reject the demand. So we'll see, but most likely it's not going to have an end anytime soon. And do we know what is the support for strikes and trade unions in Germany? Are people quite sympathetic? Well, we do have one recent survey that shows that Germans more widely uh, seem to support striking workers. 58% in one recent YouGov story from uh, last week said that they were in support of uh, postal workers as they uh, struck for two days Mm -hmm. recently. Uh, One estimate holds that around 19% of people in Germany belong to uh, a trade union. Great. Thank you so much for the updates. So people in Berlin went to the polls in local elections on Sunday. 
We explained in last week's episode why the vote was taking place again. The election was originally in September 2021, but due to chaos on election day in Berlin, like a marathon taking place at the same time, a court oh, ruling... Yes. <laughs> yes. Somebody had that idea. Classic <laughs> Berlin. Uh, a court ruling said the vote had to be repeated. And what a result the second time around. The Conservative Christian Democratic Union, the CDU, did very well. Right, Aaron? Can you tell us more? It did, Rach. And it certainly is not something I had on my bingo for this year. Um, you don't yeah. normally expect the Conservatives to do as well as they did in, in Berlin, um, of all places, which has a reputation for being a very liberal sort of left-wing city. The CDU went up around 10 points on their 2021 uh, results to a final result of 28%. That's way ahead of either the Social Democrats or the Greens. They both got 18%. The Social Democrats uh, beat the Greens for second place by, get this, an original count of 105 votes. So, so yeah, it doesn't get a lot closer than that. But plot thickens because apparently we're receiving a report that there are a few ballots, you know, a few hundred perhaps, mm-hmm. that uh, perhaps have not been counted yet, which normally oh, wouldn't dear. be so exciting. But with a result that close, <laughs> maybe it is. So stay tuned for that. Yes, the SPD came second, or at least that's where they are now at the time of this recording. That is still the worst result they've had in Berlin's history. The it was certainly the winner in terms of the spike in their support. They're the only mainstream uh, party to have won votes on their 2021 result, and they won a lot. Uh, the SPD Greens and the left, which formed the city's incumbent left coalition, all lost votes, but the Social Democrats went down the most, uh, certainly out of the three of them compared to 2021. Yeah. Um, also, what's crucially, though, for forming a governing coalition is the Liberal Free Democrats, and they didn't make the 5% threshold. That means they will not get any seats in Berlin State Parliament. They will have to wait until the next election to try again. Really explosive results. And and we did touch on this last week because of the polls ahead of the election. But Aaron, what actually happened here, do you think? Why did voters move away from the SPD and the CDU gain votes? Well, the CDU uh, had quite the campaign in terms of communications. They were really in control of the messaging. They campaigned uh, really on two key issues, a few key issues, but two really stand out in particular. One was certainly law and order. Uh, That played particularly well after the dozens of arrests we saw in Berlin on New Year's Eve, uh, with police and emergency crews being attacked by uh, New Year's Eve revelers. Mm -hmm. Uh, The CDU promised toughness, uh, but they've also been accused of racism. Um, Lead candidate Kai Wegner made headlines for asking the first names of those arrested to be publicized to see whether Germany has an integration problem or whether the purpose traders were immigrants or refugees. He got a lot of flack for this. The other big issue was mobility. The CDU went after the Greens in particular for wanting to close more roads to cars in favor of bike lanes, for making Friedrichstrasse car-free. They argued the current coalition was trying to make Berlin more hostile to cars and that many of the outer districts uh, that are more car-reliant because they have less available public transport, uh, for example. And that's certainly one of the reasons why the CDU did particularly well in those districts, those Außenbezirk and the outer districts. Districts. And if you look at a map of the election results, have we all seen this map? Yes, it is yeah. so interesting. Yeah, it's it looks like a donut, <laughs> right? <laughs> you have the island of green constituencies in the middle of this donut of, of black Seru. So that's a, one way to look at how this election went. The Berlin jelly donut with the green yeah. jelly. Yeah, green jelly <laughs> and, <laughs> and the black bread, exactly. <laughs> 
So what happens next? Well, there's a bit of a tale of two narratives, as I like to call it, going on here. So let's start with the CDU. They say, look, we clearly got the most votes. Berlin wants a change. We should get to lead a governing coalition. But then there's the, the left parties that say we still have a social majority. Yes, we lost votes, but we still have enough support and enough votes to continue with the current uh, coalition if we choose to. The CDU has invited both the SPD and the Greens for talks to start. Now, either coalition would have a majority, but so too would another red-red-green coalition that the city currently has. Some members really want to continue with that. Uh, others are saying, look, they, the CDU clearly came first by a convincing margin. Berliners are not happy with how things are, and they're trying to tell us something. We should listen. Mm-hmm. I saw that the SPD are going to talk to the CDU. They're going to have like exploratory talks, so that will be interesting. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see what narrative ends up winning the day. It's a little early to tell. And so Chancellor Olaf Scholz is from the Social Democrats and the coalition in general at the federal level, that's the SPD, the Greens and the FDP. Will they be panicking? Do you think they'll take any action? Will they be coming up with any plans on the back of this? Um, The short answer is not really, or at least not really in public. Um, Chancellor Scholz will be keen to downplay this more as a Berlin election that was about state issues, city issues, rather than the national ones. Uh, There's certainly truth to that, I think. Um, But make no mistake, Berlin is historically at least an SPD stronghold. It's held the mayor's office for the last 22 years. So it is a big disappointment for them. The federal Greens may tread a little carefully here. I'll expect that they'll encourage the Berlin Greens to at least talk to the CDU. But uh, the Berlin Greens are considerably more left-leaning than the Greens nationally. They'll probably want to continue the, the current coalition. Mm-hmm. The national ones may think that's a bit risky, given this result. Uh, the FTB has the most to think about. They're out of state parliament. There's a lot of finger pointing as to why some members say they're not conservative enough anymore, since nationally they went into coalition with both the SPD and the Greens, two center-left parties. But Christian Lindner, the national leader, says he's staying the course. There's no big changes planned. Rachel, what did you make of the election results? So to piggyback on what Aaron said, I think that the CDU um, latched onto a lot of the issues which they didn't see the SPD solving in Berlin, whether it's the poor quality of schools or the rising crime, um, in particular in some districts of the city. And so I think with their campaigning, whether or not they actually proposed a concrete solution for these issues themselves, they were able to show that, yes, the SVD has not taken steps to turn these things around and seem to have a pretty clear marketing campaign. But to add on to that, Rach, I think that a lot of people are quite disenchanted about the state of Berlin politics in general because this election saw about 10% less voter turnout than the original Berlin elections when they took place in 2021. Yeah. Mm. Thank you both so much for the updates. Really interesting stuff. Okay, so we're going to move on now and talk a little bit about food. Anyone who's Ooh. visited... Yeah. It's one of our favorite subjects at the local. <laughs> Absolutely. Who, yeah. does, who doesn't love food? Anyone who's visited or lives in Berlin will be familiar with the humble currywurst. But one yeah. restaurant far from the capital has taken things to a new level. According to the German newspaper Süddeutsche Zeitung, the currywurst bar in Nuremberg in Bavaria is serving a very special currywurst dish for just under, wait for it, 
100 euros. Ooh. Aaron, can you explain what exactly Currywurst is and what's so special about this very expensive one? Well, currywurst is a great big sausage with curry and, you know, typically either <laughs> mayo or ketchup. And, you know, well, it's it served me well many on a, on a good Berlin night out. This sounds, this one is a, a much more fancy variety, not, not at your street food stand. The Nuremberg one. Yeah. Um, it's for two people. It's called the Couple Deluxe. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And it comes with caviar topping, four oysters, and get this, fries out of truffles. No, we're living large. And, and a bottle of champagne to top that all off. That's what does it for me, the champagne. Currywurst and champagne, a way to live it up. I'm kind of more <laughs> intrigued by the truffle fries than I am anything else. Wow. Um, so the currywurst actually has quite an interesting history. Can you tell us about it, Rachel? Sure, Rachel. So the snack was actually created in 1949 in the Charlottenburg district of Berlin. And there was a German woman by the name of Hertha Heuwehr who had a street food stand there. And at the time, the area was under the control of the British because it was the post-war period. And at the time, the Allied soldiers were introducing new foods and eating habits to Germany, whether it was Americans eating ketchup with steak or whatnot. And so she thought that she would try something new in her food stand. And she managed to barter with some of the British soldiers who were stationed there. And she traded some spirits for a little bit of curry powder. And so she then combined tomato sauce with the curry powder and served it with sausage. And voila, she had her um, special recipe, which became the currywurst, or as she patented it in 1959 as the chillup sauce, <laughs> 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 uh, which sounds a little bit more modern. But yeah, back then it was called the chillup salsa and um, it obviously grew to be a very popular dish and it was sort of symbolic of Berlin where people of all social classes would gather at one of these stand-up tables and eat one of these pork sausages. Oh, really? Such a legend was born. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely one of Berlin's favorite snack foods. So we know Aaron eats it after a night out sometimes. Rachel, are you a fan? So I'm a vegetarian. I am a fan of the sauce, and so I've tried a lot of the vegan and vegetarian variants, which, um, not surprisingly, are not hard to find in Berlin. I I think it's kind of interesting that this Nuremberg restaurant has taken something so quintessentially Berlin, which you're supposed to traditionally eat at a street food stand after leaving Bergheim um, and made it into something posh. It's it's a Bavarian spin on a Berlin treat. (laughs) It really is. Do you think you would try the Nuremberg version? You know what? I I might. Yeah, there may come a time. (laughs) Maybe would I have a bit more more extra cash laying around. Maybe I'll do it, you know, for Valentine's Day one year. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's meant for couples. Yeah, it's a great present. Excellent. Thank you so much to both of you. Many foreigners arriving from abroad will be familiar with this scene. 
getting to an office in Germany like the Bürgeramt or the Ausländerbehörde and not being able to communicate because their caseworker only speaks German. Now, the Free Democrats, who are a junior partner in the coalition government, said last week that they want to see English as a second administrative language in Germany because of the worker shortage that Germany is dealing with. Rachel, what are the Free Democrats saying? So for a while, the Free Democrats have proposed Germany's version of a green card called the Schanzenkarte, and it's basically a 10-point plan so that workers from all over can come to Germany and gather these points to live and obviously work in the country. And they're saying that one of the things that is deterring a lot of workers is having to learn the German language, and especially dealing with German bureaucracy is quite a daunting task. And so they've proposed that German becomes an official working language in all of these bureaucratic offices, including the foreigner's office, which is notorious for having staff that don't speak or don't want to speak any English. And they said that this would simply attract uh, more talent from all over the world and make it much easier for them to integrate into the country. And the FDP have been thinking this for a while, right? They've been advocating this idea for um, a couple of years already, from what I can remember. Um, I've been noticing their politicians talking about this idea, more English in German offices, uh, probably as far back as the last Bundestagswahl before this one. So 2017, it's been a talking point of theirs for quite some time. And what does this have to do with the problems Germany is having with filling jobs? Uh, it really has to do with making the country a more attractive place for foreigners to come and live and work, particularly people with certain skills, especially IT. A lot of workplaces in Germany already use English as a working language, especially in that sector. Um, the tech jobs of Berlin's startup scene in particular. The thinking goes, people coming here should be welcomed and able to deal with the bureaucracy in English, particularly if they don't necessarily always need German um, to do their jobs, at least not right away, uh, especially because there's so much of that German bureaucratic language to deal with when you first get here. And German isn't a global language such that many people have the chance to learn it well enough to take care of those kinds of legal issues right when they come here. When mm -hmm. you come here, you know, you're basically dealing with ordering a drink mm, <laughs> at a restaurant. Or yeah, you're not you're not yet at the point where you're, you know, trying to be so exacting in, in, in your legal German. Um, so the thinking goes make this part easier so that more people will come. They'll pick up German over time when they get here. That's certainly part of the thinking behind the Chansenkata that Rachel was mentioning, uh, which loosens some of the requirements for coming here. If you're a skilled worker, if you have a job offer and a qualification, there might be certain cases where you don't need to prove German proficiency beforehand. The thinking, though, is even with that, not having enough English bureaucratic support could deter people even if they're able to get a visa. And the, the immigration reform, the government is working on that at the moment, right? Yeah, right now we're seeing that Chansenkarta make its way through Parliament as we speak. And what's been the reaction so far to the idea that everyone should be speaking more English in these offices in Germany? Well, we're seeing some reactions slowly trickle in. Uh, we saw the local government state secretary in Turinga say that even translating the documents from German into English that people would need would take a very long time. It definitely would not be available by uh, the beginning of next year. <laughs> um, <laughs> they, as, they don't even know what it means in German, maybe. Yeah, well, I mean, to be fair, yeah. <laughs> Who They're does? so complicated, even the 
Germans are struggling. Who knows what those forms <laughs> say? But uh, and and that's just for the documents. Uh, that says nothing of the kind of training that might be needed um, for certain people who work in these offices to be able to do those types of jobs in English. Uh, face-to-face with people coming in. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we've heard in the past from politicians, especially in the conservative parties like the CDU, that people don't speak German enough in Germany. It's, it's certainly a big debate here, isn't it? Yeah, it's a debate that's been going back a while. In 2017, actually, the CDU politician and our latest health minister, Jens Spahn, stirred some feathers when he complained about being a addressed um, primarily in English at Berlin cafes when he tried to order something. And he said that somebody who comes to the country should at least make an effort to speak basic German and that in another European capital like Paris or Madrid, um, you would not be directly addressed in English. Let's hear now from Chris Piak. He is a business coach who helps internationals get jobs in Germany and the author of How to Win Jobs and Influence Germans. I started off by asking Chris what he thinks about the German government's proposals to ease immigration laws. Well, easier is always better. I doubt that it will have a huge impact on the actual number of international professionals that we will see here in Germany. I can also explain why. Yes, please. In 2009, we had a great uh, finance crisis here in Europe. And at that time, hundreds of thousands of young professionals from Italy, from uh, Greece and from uh, Spain and Portugal came to Germany to try to find work here. And research showed that after six months, the vast majority of them had left Germany already. They already gave up. And these are European Union citizens. They uh, didn't even need a visa to work here. So obviously the visa itself is not the challenge that keeps people, international professionals, from becoming successful here in Germany. That's so interesting. What do you think is the the challenge or or the problem that stops kind of internationals being here? Well, I analyzed the complete German job market uh, together with a company in the Netherlands. And what I have seen over the last uh, 11 years is a very simple problem. Nearly all job ads in Germany and the jobs behind them are in German. Before COVID, only 1% of German companies hired in English, advertised jobs in English, which meant that 99% of the job ads were not immediately accessible for international professionals. Then COVID came and this number has quadrupled. So it's now 4%. But that still means that 96% of all jobs are advertised in German. And if you are an international professional and you come to Germany or you apply to a job in Germany from abroad, unfortunately, the reality is that in most companies, if you apply in English, you will be rejected right away. Employers, they always say, yeah, we have Fachkräftemangel, labor shortage, we need international people. And when I talk to the hiring manager or I talk to HR about what they need, sooner or later they say, yeah, ah, but they should speak a little bit of German. And then I ask, yeah, what is a little bit? What does this mean concretely? And then they list up all the different things and very soon you are at C1 level, which is native speaker level. And one additional information that might be interesting to your listeners, if you analyze those jobs that are in English a little bit closer, Half of all job ads in English come from only 350 companies, which means that if you apply um, as an international professional, you either uh, apply to an English shop 
where you have insane competition or you apply for a German job, if you do it through the traditional ways, then you will be cast out because guess what? You are not a traditional candidate. The standard application process is for standard people and you are not a standard person in Germany. So you need to go a different route if you want to be successful here. What kind of route do you recommend? As they say in relationship, first of all, uh, it's not me, it's you. So it's not <laughs> your fault. <laughs> it's it's not your fault that you don't get job interviews here. Don't say that. Uh, it's the fault uh, of German recruiters who don't adapt to new realities and who, quite frankly, are very often not even competent enough to evaluate you. They have 30 or 40 different positions to fill, and they know absolutely nothing about the success criteria in any of these positions, which means they don't know what they are looking for. They don't know what outcome you should achieve. So if they don't know what they are looking for, how can they evaluate? So the second advice is, uh, hey, I, darling, I believe it's time we see other people, which usually means you already do. You know, <laughs> So what you do is you ignore the HR department and the standard application process. And instead, you try to reach out to the actual hiring manager, to the person that you will report to if you get the job. Really good advice. And Chris, I wanted to ask you, because we have been talking about the, the free Democrats who are kind of pushing that they believe English should be a second administrative language in Germany, for example, in offices and to encourage more immigration. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's an excellent idea. Uh, I think the person who brought this proposal forward is an actual genius. And the reason why I think that is uh, because it was me. Uh, many years ago, <laughs> <laughs> many years ago, I was uh, still a member of the FDP, of the Free Democrats. And because of my, my experience with international professionals, I made this a proposal in Düsseldorf, where I used to live. And uh, I got Marie-Agnes Strack-Zimmermann, who is now a member of parliament, uh, to support this initiative. And then I got Alexander Graf Lambsdorff and Johannes Vogel, who are also members of parliament, to support this initiative as well. And we put it um, into the party program already many years ago. So uh, it's something that, that got adapted into the political manifest of the Free Democrats uh, about, I think, six, seven years ago. And now they bring it out again. That said, so I'm, I'm thinking it's a very good idea. It should be done. That's why I proposed it, especially since I myself have lived in Estonia and for several years. And in Estonia, there's, you can do this everywhere. You can do all communication in English. And uh, most laws are also translated into English automatically by the government. So it's something we should do mm -hmm. as well. That said, unfortunately, I fear that in practical terms, nothing will come uh, from this. This is uh, just a shiny object that the free Democrats are showing to potential voters right now to show how progressive uh, they are, even though in reality they are unfortunately not. When the manure hits the fan, you will see that there will never be an actual proposal that will be adopted into. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The local Germany recently asked readers for their tips on having a successful relationship with a German person. And this survey really got a huge amount of attention in just a few days. Lots of people got in touch to share what it's like dating in Germany and in particular dating German people. Aaron, tell us about what you found out. Well, uh, first of all, we were flooded with responses. We had over uh, 100, and that doesn't count the number of people who had a lot of things to say on social media, on our various platforms. We found a lot of people who really needed to vent, um, even though 40% of the respondents in our actual survey are, in fact, married uh, to their German partners. So they're <laughs> in this for the long haul. Um, they've made this commitment. Uh, people were a bit frustrated about, uh, you know, a few things, but two things really stand out the directness and the obsession with punctuality. We did find, though, a few people who had some good tips, uh, some good hacks. Uh, some people, while frustrated with directness, originally said that over time they actually grew to like it because they weren't left guessing uh, what their German partner was thinking. Uh, in German, you mean what you say or Germans mean what they say. And suddenly they found that very refreshing out of a period of time. My personal favorite tip, though, is this one. Uh, it comes from a woman in Hamburg uh, who says that she makes it clear to her husband that she will be ready around a certain time and she never gives him a specific time. She says that if <laughs> she gives him a specific time and she doesn't say around, that he will just expect her to be ready at that time. <laughs> Rachel, you are in a successful relationship with the yes, German. Rachel. Successful marriage. <laughs> I know, eh? Yeah, Rachel. Uh, so I actually belong to the 40% of people who are married to a German. Um, and I would second a lot of those tips that I've heard. Uh, it's true that Germans, including my German, can be very direct um, and say exactly what they think. But one good thing about it is that... Uh, when they say something positive, they truly mean that positive thing as well. Unlike where I'm from in Northern California, where it's hard to tell what people directly think. And then as far as punctuality goes, uh, mine has certainly improved since I've been married to him, because if I say that I want to be there at a certain time, then he truly expects me at that time. So I think I'm going to have to take that tip about saying I'll be there around a You'll time. get him to come back your way a bit. <laughs> exactly. Compromise. Seven-ish. <laughs> the magic-ish. The magic-ish. You know, it's so hard to get Germans to understand that. <laughs> but. I love that. Thanks for sharing, Rachel. That's super interesting. Let's hear now from an expert. I spoke with Sami Wunder, an international dating and relationship expert based in Bonn. I started off by asking Sami to share a bit about herself and background. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for having me. And I am an Indian at heart. So I was born and brought up in India. And I was always the A student, the gold medalist. So I topped my city. Then I went to uh, Delhi University to pursue my master's. And I was a gold medalist at that. And 
I then received a full scholarship for my master's in public policy at the Hertie School of Governance in Berlin. And I had other amazing offers from London School of Economics, from Oxford University, but Hertie was the only place that had given me a 100% scholarship. And Berlin was such an exciting city with so much history and culture and diversity to offer. And that's how I made the decision to come to Berlin. And that's where I would say my life took a completely new trajectory. Amazing. And and so we've been talking a lot about dating with our readers and with our panelists in the podcast. How did you meet your German husband? So we actually met at the Hertie School of Governance during our MPP, Masters in Public Policy. But I have to give some context to that, because I think when I came here, especially as an Indian woman and smart, ambitious, intelligent, accomplished So I was already, you know, working for the International Development Organization, the ILO in Geneva. And, you know, the the degree was a professional degree. So you, you were surrounded by a lot of men who were already far ahead in their careers, but were just doing a professional degree in the middle. And I was having a really hard time because I knew that I wanted to have a family. I knew I wanted to have kids. I knew I wanted to have a loving husband, a loyal partnership. But when I decided to date actively in Germany, I felt like it was all about quick physical connection, getting into each other's pants and just feeling really lost in dating. So I was attending a lot of these parties and, you know, men were coming at me, but then it would either fizzle out or they would ghost or you would see that they just want to take you to the bedroom. And so I had all these dreams about love and healthy love. And I was like an idealistic romantic. But I started to see very quickly when I came to Germany that my dream was not going to become a reality if I continued to date the way I was dating because I was feeling so lost and nothing was working out. And I was a smart, attractive woman. So I was like, what do these men want? Like, what is it that they want? And I'm so confusing. <laughs> what is it that they want? And so I met this guy. So I met many guys in the process. I wasn't sleeping around, but I was going on these connection dates and just wanting to explore, getting to know more men. And I met this guy that I thought was the one for me. And it was so amazing at all levels, the connection, the chemistry. And then he too, at the two month mark, just like ghosted. And I remember that feeling in my belly, like, oh my God, it's happening again. The person Mm -hmm. I like again, you know, not interested. My friends said to me, oh, it's Germany, you know, men are expecting you to reach out and do some work and and show them interest. And I was like, oh, that doesn't really feel good. Like, if a man wants me, he should not disappear on me for 10 days. But you know what, I'm a strong and smart woman, and I will reach out to him against my intuition. And I got a response very quickly saying, hey, you're a great girl, but I don't think I can give you what you want. And I remember waking up the next morning and going, okay, you have to do something about this because if you keep going on this way, your dream is not going to come true. And there's clearly something you're doing that's not working because you are the common denominator in all these experiences. And that's what got me interested in studying romantic relationships. And lastly, Sammy, how about the kind of, cultural differences you found when dating your your now husband or dating German men? Was there anything that you found a little bit interesting or you had to deal with each other on? 
Absolutely. I mean, there's so many cultural differences, but I think the biggest thing I notice, not just as a woman who's married to a German man, but also as an expert who, you know, coaches women day in, day out on how to attract a healthy partnership. I think in Germany, what I've noticed is that people tend to be very rational and logical about relationships. And we are a highly educated country. And so we tend to move with a wall on our on our hearts. And we say we want a relationship, but actually we are very afraid of being vulnerable and opening our hearts to love. And so I think sometimes it is a challenge when you're dating in Germany because German men can tend to be so rational and so logical. And this is where I think we have to invite more vulnerability. And as women, I think we have the power to be more vulnerable because we are the emotional leaders in some sense. We are the ones carrying the emotional ambassadorship in the relationship. And so just, you know, having the courage to show your feelings more. And by this, I don't mean I like you, I love you so much. But I I mean, being able to say things like it would feel really good if you would plan in advance and not do this last minute. It makes me feel more special or it would feel so good if all our dates were not at home. It would feel more special and romantic if we could also do something outside. What do you think? Now, this is vulnerability and it requires courage to show what is it that you need in order to feel happy in a relationship. And this can feel scary when dating Germans because they're so straightforward, so logical. And as a woman, you have a lot of power to seed in emotion and vulnerability there, which I think can be a superpower in such a culture. Like my husband loves that I'm so expressive. He's like, oh, it's so easy to be with you. Whatever is in your heart is on your tongue. I mean, not when I'm angry and like, it's not like I'll just say anything. But I think most of the times he feels very safe to be around me because I'm not thinking one thing, saying another thing. What I feel, I have the courage to say it. And that actually brings us closer and makes it very easy to have this relationship. Great. Well, thank you so much, Sammy. That was so helpful. I'm so glad. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, we'll add the links in the show notes for the stories we've been talking about today. Thank you to this week's panellists, Rachel Stern and Aaron Burnett, and to our guests, Chris Piak and Sammy Wunder, and to our sound engineer, Reese Edwards. We're on Twitter. Our username is Germany in Focus. And once again, please leave a review or a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts, especially if you liked us. We'll be back again next Friday. Until then, take care. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.